This is the Game Theory Podcast, Episode 9, Loot, with Brian Fife, Tom Westberg, and Jim Fingal. Loot. The Final Frontier? No, not. The Final Frontier for shitty game design. I was. I, <laughs> I think we're going to likely have similar attitudes. <laughs> I was thinking levels by another name. <laughs> Obviously, you can call it an allegory, and when we call it loot, I think it's just another dimension of complexity. We'll see. I'm Brian. Hi, this is Jim. And this is Tom. Today we're going to talk about uh, loot. This is following up from the last episode we did, which was about levels. There's a certain symmetry to that, isn't there? You would think so. For me, loot is a little more controversial. I feel like there there's some, some things I need to get off my chest about loot. The, that we're doing a podcast about it. There's not really loot in StarCraft. Limbo doesn't have loot. Passage doesn't have loot. So all of these great games that don't have to... StarCraft doesn't have loot. It certainly has currency. It has currency within within the game, right? You don't really carry it across. And it's used only for the usefulness uh, of what you're doing in, in that round. So yeah, currency. I'm I'm okay with currency. One can have currency in a game. Gotten into a, a distinction that I don't see the difference, but all right. Does loot have to be from a like random drop table, or can it be again the scenario of like the premium store at the end of the game where there's awesome stuff behind the counter, but it's super expensive. Currency and a mechanism for making choices with limited resources, that's a different mechanic from ultimately have access to unlimited resources, but you, you have to ex- exchange limited moments of immortal life to, uh, to get it. So that's my, my currency distinction, I guess. I'm, I'm okay with when, when currency is, is making interesting choices with limited resources. And you're okay when the set of items that a character can access is relatively controlled and defined. It's just when it sort of blooms into this randomly generated table of nonsense that you get a little touchy. I, so that's when I get touchy. It's like when dogs are domesticated. If, if you breed the foxes for docility, along with that comes floppy ears and really cute faces. Adorableness, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think that, that's like it's the same sort of thing. Oh, there you go. Uh, for me, I think what it boils down to is how the acquisition of these things in, in games makes me feel and sort of like what it makes me think of. So like, whereas levels, if I'm, I'm playing a game and I'm, uh, I'm leveling up, you know, my character is improving for me a little bit of a, an allegory of self-development, right? And I can, I can get behind that, develop the self, grind your, grind your pro- programming skills, uh, get a little bit smarter, read, read more books, get a little stronger, Whereas loot, for me, even though like it, it serves a, a mechanically very similar purpose in games, it feels much more like crass consumerist acquisition of things, which is something that I don't really need games to encourage me to, to do. I think I would rather engage with art forms that encourage me not to, to, to do those sorts of things just because everything else in life is trying to get you to buy more things and acquire more things? Ultimately, I agree that there are lots of similarities in terms of loot 
and leveling being different ways to add power attributes or or features to characters and, and such. In in terms of the game allegory and and how it might reflect uh, morality in in society, geez, if we're going to talk about what it's symbolizing, you are literally looting dead bodies throughout the game. It, just about every way you get something is because you have killed somebody. In terms of of of, of trying to uh, quibble about morality of actions, you're ignoring the fact that you're typically committing genocide uh, in order to to push yourself forward through this game, and and you softly call that improving yourself. I think what I'm not talking about is the actual actions that you take in the game. I like what I'm talking about is what you are going what you're going through as like a game player in the systems that you're working through in the game. Like less than like whether or not you have to like smash open someone's rib cage to get a couple of credits in 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 Dead Space. You know, what whatever grotesque things you need to do in 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 God of War to rip someone's head off to get a couple of extra Red stars. I think those things, those things actually, to me, are much more interesting <laughs> in in terms of like gameplay and design. It took some creativity to to design those things, whereas the the sort of tired mechanic of of like spreading sort of meaningless loot throughout the world and designing your system so that your players will feel the desire to spend a lot of their time looking for these tiny upgrades that's more what bothers me than actually what you're doing in the game <laughs> so you you're kind of you're kind of jumping into a post oblivion post torchlight world and talking about that let's talk back to to a simpler world a, a world in which loot was not so bad <laughs> well when we were talking about levels we we sort of covered how the systems got more complex and more sophisticated over time, and it started out just being, you know, the more things you kill, the higher your, your numbers went, and that meant you were somehow more powerful. And I think we're all familiar with, and I, I thought back to Legend of Zelda as one of the first item-carrying type games where you would have a wooden sword, and you'd have an iron sword, and you'd have a golden sword, and blah, blah, blah. Did they have uh, attributes plus whatever at the time? I mean, essentially, they had more more attack power. It, it wasn't published in any way, but yeah, things that would take three hits to kill would now take one hit to kill. That that kind of thing. It was a way way of scaling what otherwise is a levelless character's attack ability. Yeah, and I think there were some things that you just couldn't attack or kill without. Oh, that's right. The the sword would just bounce off, right? Yeah. So does loot essentially go back not necessarily in in video gaming but in gaming to dungeons and dragons is there is is that its origin i i think that's a that's a fair trace games that are near and dear to my heart nethack and and such although they have a leveling system that now, is those are explicitly it's, it's almost insignificant compared to uh the the importance of of item discoveries and item drops one distinction that i think is in, important to make between like a legend of zelda game and a NetHack game is, I think NetHack has what we what we classically consider to be loot, which is just random stuff that appears or things you find. Where with with Zelda, everything was designed in, and every item that you got, it, what you didn't have to kill a hundred things and hope you got one. 
it was like a fundamental part of the like the almost the level design that it's part of a quest to get this and you can't move on to the next quest until you got it and also it's nice because you can kill easier enemies with less effort yeah, and that's different from power-ups, which are more random. We you know whether or not you get a heart when you kill something or that, that kind of thing. Yeah. Whether or not you have a, a sword plus one or a sword plus two. This is more like jumping straight to Vorpal Sword. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. The Dungeons & Dragons game certainly going from a net hack or something, you know, had the plus one sword and all, all that junk, just as, just as NetHack did, but... There was a lot more diversity of things you could get. And I think it was the early Dungeons & Dragons games that also introduced the Oblivion-style looting where there's just tons and tons of crap that you can find that doesn't do you any good to carry. Yeah, well, I, I, I feel like it, it wasn't until... Like, I've, like, I remember this happening, like, picking up tons of crap in games, but I feel like it wasn't until some of the other scroll games where it was really, like, you really could overload yourself with bread crusts if if you tried to pick everything up well literally you can't move you would hit that before you would hit bag constraints when i think those games also the the real damage the so the thing that really brought this all about in in my opinion is the introduction of physics engines into these games if you remember half-life Half-Life 2, it must have been, not the original Half-Life when it came out, and there's like paint cans everywhere and stuff like that, and you can knock them over and they have they have real physical properties. I mean, yeah. that, that sort of brought about, and this is kind of a side topic, but the proliferation of just crap and junk into games everywhere all the time. And that's present in um, Borderlands in a big way. It's, it's present in Deus Ex Human Revolution. Well, this is separate from root, uh, loot, loot, though. Uh, I and, and but I'd I'd like to to defend it vigorously on on two grounds. One, in something like Half Life, they were actually making the, the, uh, the physics engines part of uh, the game puzzles. The puzzles, They're, yes, yes, yes. Uh-huh. So so you needed to to figure out how to balance things or or, or something to solve this, and the physics engine was integral to to getting through a particular level but separate from that uh trash like that scattered throughout a level makes it feel much more real than here's a room with a table and a radio on it and maybe they put a poster on the wall that's the same poster you've seen in 15 other little radio huts i've been playing torchlight 2 and I got to a, a place in it that I, that I realized there are these different item sets. I have no idea whether I'm going to be able to collect two or three or four of them before I've leveled my way well past them being interesting. And I don't like that uncertainty. It doesn't add spice to the game for me. So uh, interestingly, opposite the... I'm I'm greedy. I I want to acquire more. My my impulse in in Torchlight is, I really wish I had less choice. I needed to worry about the acquisition of gold. That's just a number down at the bottom of my inventory page. So I I don't see that as anything that's resonating with me towards uh, you know being able to pay for a nice Hawaiian vacation or anything like that. <laughs> and yet you. St- you still do the things that that the game system encourages you to do because 
But I would do it if they called it points instead of gold or if they called it stars or happy faces. I, I, I might be a little more sarcastic about the, 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 the game style. But whether you're, you're calling it gold or platinum or credits or dollars or it's simply points, that's how the game is grading you and you want more of it. What you're talking about, Tom, is, is there isn't a department store in Torchlight 2 where you can walk in and say, take me up to the penthouse floor and I want to I have a concierge show me these gold-plated weapons. It, it, money in the game only gives you access to the random number generator that spews out more randomly generated loot. I don't think I've bothered to use the money I've acquired in, in, in playing the game for much of, of anything other than, oh, I died, I'll, I'll pay 10% of my net worth now to, to spawn at the beginning of the level rather than start in the, in the town. And, and, and the interesting thing about that is, as you notice that it's always 10%, it's essentially a tax. Hey, it went down the next time. I don't, I don't feel bad about it. It's, it's like the it's like downshifting. It's it's like the the less effort you put into acquiring wealth, you know, the less that you have to spend. You know, the uh, the less you worry about it. There we go. Well, I think I think you know some of our first experiences with loot and items in in games in some of the earlier role playing games and things like that was there would always be a shop or there'd be a boss you'd have to defeat. These items would appear, and maybe they'd be you know, static throughout the entire game, and you'd have to decide whether you were going to save your pennies to get the big sword or not, right? Well, there, there are things like World of Warcraft, especially in early days where you, you might not have enough gold to buy a spell uh, when you, you uh, became qualified for it at a particular level. And that... In terms of boy, you know, uh, appreciate the value of your alliance, young uh, young child. When when you have have worked your way up to being uh, ready for a spell, and you've got to the gotten to the trainer and realize you can only afford two of the three that are available, that makes that sort of thing made me much more money conscious. And of course, now World of Warcraft's economy is is rather screwed up. And of course, you also had the same thing as you were working your way towards paying for a mount at level 40, which was a major thing you had to prepare for. What a status symbol, too. <laughs> but it, wasn't, it wasn't so much status symbol as you get around faster. But I suppose, to some extent, that's showing everybody around you that you're a higher level than they are. Traveling quickly was clearly a big deal in terms of, of just reducing annoyances of, of the game. When Diablo was the first place where we saw the loot the the rainbow loot scheme that is now sort of standardized across games right yeah i mean it was definitely the first game that i played where i spent tons and tons of time really hoping that i would get a specific piece of loot so i could optimize my like sorceress's build and eventually i did and it was great tom will you break down the color code for us please well let's see i i the gray would be ordinary and probably trash to you green is enchanted blue is rare then we had to had to purple and then finally orange which is uh, in world of warcraft called epic now having said that i don't care at all about the gold i have in in torchlight and such i'm going to contradict myself 
a little bit and and point out that in in Torchlight, which is very much a clone of, of Diablo, but you can also see similar things in Zelda, I very much enjoy running over the little piles of gold and hearing the uh, overlapping kachink sounds as they go into my bag and watching the little gold numbers float up on the on, on the screen and all of them it's <clears throat> it it definitely taps into something uh it's resonating someplace uh, deeper and maybe maybe uh, Jim's correct and it's it's uh, you know, a negative greed thing, but whatever it is. You'd have a lot of fun in Vegas, I think. <laughs> I, I actually don't find that compelling. I watched, I play slot machines for the video game aspect of them. But, that, but it's the same sort of like that. That's like a. No, it's, a it's an endorphin tickle. That's definitely what it is. Yeah. It, it, and, and, and I absolutely feel it in the Diablo and Torchlight style games. But don't you also go and uh, have Link uh, break every pot? in Zelda games and watch for those stupid little gems. I go through phases where I do it and phases where I don't do it. And I, you know, I was playing, uh, Bastion and it was never clear to me whether that was an okay thing or not. Okay. Thing in the game world to like be trashing everything. <laughs> it's like, are, are you contributing to the destruction of the world that you want to save? Yeah. And there's, there's a, as with so many subjects, a very funny penny arcade comic about this where it involves the breaking of crates i don't know yeah. if you guys remember that one i really well i i, I like the the dead space one where the protagonist is like because in dead space they have these uh as similar to in bioshock the recordings of of people uh they're they're like diaries and and the person is, is like listening to the diary of like an elementary school teacher and it's talking about how it's like you know she's nervous it's like first First day at work, and then the the punchline is blah blah blah. Let me smash your ribcage and get credits. <laughs> yeah, you know, Paul's a careful guy and doesn't want to miss something. And I, I let's just be honest, I get a little impatient with him because he's very deliberate about the way he picks through all the drops that that he gets. And one of the trends that we've seen in game design, one of the interesting kinds of evolutions that's happened, is. I'm going to pick out three specific games, Dungeon Defenders, the Torchlight series, and the Borderlands series, all sort of made their name by using different combat mechanics, but effectively the same loot mechanic, which is completely auto-generated drops with, with a few certain exceptions for quests and things like that, and just tons of moderate quality loot all the time. And, and a certain amount of inflation where you see many more purple items or blue items or whatever the higher quality stuff is than, than you used to in the past. And the distinction for me is in a game like World of Warcraft, the loot tables for all the, well, basically the entire game was more or less knowable. Uh, it was a closed set. And although they had collections of, you know, of the Eagle and of the Falcon and of the Badger and for the most part, there was this limited number of drops and it, you weren't that surprised if you'd prepared before the event. It was, I would point out it was knowable because of the vast popularity of the game leading to people like Wowhead and so forth doing incredibly complex sites showing you everything that was available. 
the game as intended, as designed, was pretty much setting up for things to be a mystery about what you would get. Yes, but the number of drops that you would get in the course of a single dungeon run that you had to pay attention to, that were colored, that, that had value, was not overwhelming. And typically the stats associated with those weren't so sophisticated that you'd have to agonize over them too much. I, I'm just drawing a contrast between something that was a fun part of the game and a part of the pace and rhythm of playing to something that sort of has blown out of all proportion. Yep. Well, they, someone convinced themselves that people actually like that part of the game. <laughs> well, it's like, yeah, they boy, somebody gets excited when they get an orange drop, so let's just give them one every five minutes. And, right. you know, for a they're, while, they're happy about it. You're for, right. for a while that works. And then you sort of, you know, you, you start to see the string that goes to the carrot. Now, one, one interesting aspect of, of loot drops, particularly in, in dungeons, is the, the notion of rolling for loot within a group and leading to people going for loot that they, they don't deserve or their character couldn't use and causing lots of resentment and so forth. Some games have moved away from that, making uh, uh, all loot rolls be individual to the character and not part of, of the group. Why do you think, well, do you think it was ever a good idea to compete within your group for loot and potentially to have the the raid master distribute loot? Or uh, should it all have been just an individual reward for, for what you've gotten at a particular boss drop? The only good thing to come out of that is it forced people to be inventive and and sort of come up with their own systems <laughs> to uh, to equitably distribute loot. DKP. In order to not alienate people in, in your group, you would have to sort of come up with, which is totally sort of outside of the game world. Like that to me is, is interesting. Jim's talking about DKP, which is Dungeon Kill Points, which is this really messed up system where you get credit for doing dungeons and then you spend those credit points to get items. And that's how when... Uh, large raiding guilds or competitive guilds and MMOs are running like uh, six or seven raids a week, which take maybe two to three hours or five hours or whatever each. They they do fair air quotes distribution of of the loot that comes in. So why why uh... why would you design a, a mechanic like this that pits your your players against each other and can cause a great amount of resentment. Well, because what? notionally it, it makes I mean, sense. arguably community is a very important part of an MMO, and this is really grit in the gears there. Well, on, on paper it makes sense, right? Oh, you know, when things come, everybody gets to say either I want a shot at it or I don't want a shot at it, and it, it creates this, this sense of excitement and some friendly competition between players. That's the idealistic view. In reality, you get people rolling on things that they shouldn't roll on. You get, you know, oh, somebody didn't roll when the most awesome epic. I mean, the the worst mechanic or the worst social norm that ever developed was this idea of, like, if the most awesome thing ever drops, what we're all going to do is pass on it. And then we'll talk and we'll decide who gets it. <laughs> that creates this weird uh, what prisoner's dilemma type thing. <laughs> What if you don't pass? <laughs> yeah, what, if one person doesn't do it, then they get it, and then you didn't get a shot at the one in a million drop. Then they get kicked out of the dungeon, but they got the thing. Yeah, absolutely. Wait, so, so I, I, I think I may have misunderstood you. So, do you, do you like the rolling better than having points where you do a certain amount of raids and you can effectively 
buy it with the work that you've done or is it the other way around? So first of all, games like WoW did a lot to work around this problem by giving badge drops as you know everybody got a couple tokens every time they killed a boss and then you use those tokens to buy gear which is in many cases much nicer than the stuff that actually shows up in the dungeon and so it it effectively folds the dkp system into the game mechanic right okay. and they they were doing that essentially to to move away from the you know there's the drop in in game and, and but they they then really turned it into you're farming this dungeon for badges that 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 there you're you're not going to get potentially the uh the 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 big loot drop uh instead it's just another night another couple badges <laughs> and this is this is weird to me because it's like the idea of, of like the the DKP and turning it into work so that you could get a predictable reward is like is not attractive to me. But at the same time, it seems like even less attractive uh, to like have have the system in which you're just like continually uh, continually working for like a random chance to do something and spending sort of like days and days of your life for like some like non guaranteed possibility of a reward. Yeah, and the reason the reason why this happened is, you know, some hunter was showing up every night for this this dungeon and the three times it dropped, some other guy that was only there once got the roll. And he's like this 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 will not stand. <laughs> <laughs> Shit will not stand. Yeah. So, I mean, that's what the, that's what it is, but that said, I think Tom and I have both had the experience of going into a high-level dungeon where everyone else is sort of established in the dungeon and we're learning the ropes. And some random drop comes in and they go, here, kid, take this. And like, you're like, wow, this is way better than anything I have. And you just won the lottery. It's fun. It's cool. And that is a pleasant part of the experience. But, you know, if it wasn't for the people, it'd be really awesome. <laughs> if it wasn't for the rest of the game. I, I'm, I'm not thrilled with the rolling against other, other people thing. It's interesting. We, th- though everything pushes towards, Saying this is yet another grind. Yeah, everything pushes towards like smoothing out the curves. Well, loot, loot is like one of the primary things that we we sort of talked about when we we're talking about grind, right? Yes, all of these they're they're all just whether you're going for stars or gold or badges, they're forms of currency. Uh, and the, the whether it's it's faction reputation. Before you you can uh, buy this wonderful wonderful thing, they must really adore you in this city. Uh, that's a grind. Yeah, so it's sort of meaningless in and of itself, and not actually fun to 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 get. <laughs> right. All of these things, while it's it's different, there's a grind against a random number generator. You're you're pulling the slot machine handle every time you do the boss drop, hoping you get it. So as opposed to the the more definitive, but you can look at it and say, oh, I, I know it's going to be six weeks before I'm going to be able to get such and such of, of nightly work. And people will do it versus I might win that lottery. I don't really know what the probabilities are. And even if I did, I'm going to assume that that I could be the same sort of, of emotion that that works there. That's that's a, entirely a grind, too. And all of these things seem to me deliberate distractions from the fact that otherwise you're getting tired of the regular gameplay. The regular gameplay is 
maybe an interesting dance uh, in a dungeon and so forth. But fundamentally, it is you going into battle and choosing your your uh, attacks and your defenses in interesting ways. Maybe you have to move yourself. And right now, I'm I'm mostly speaking of the RPG like games, but. Uh, basically, that you'll you'll have some set of of things which defines the core gameplay. Then outside that, there's if you like a character arc, and we would put leveling and uh, loot acquisition as part of your character arc. Arc. But one of the, one of the things I think you were dancing around, Jim. Although you didn't call it out explicitly when you were talking about loot or gear not being sort of a valid or meaningful facet of a character's identity is because gear gets swapped out so much. It's very hard to build the acquisition of gear into that mental story that you build when you're playing through a character in a role-playing game or something like that. Yeah, like it, it, you're developing the power of your character, but it, it doesn't, uh, because of how disposable it is, it doesn't really feel like self-development. Yeah, you're just sort of like grabbing a sword, lopping a few heads off, throwing it aside, grabbing another sword, lopping a few heads off. It's not like you and it's like are... It's something that you have to actively spend a lot of attention on, whereas like leveling up is like, if I do the things that are, are fun and I'm supposed to do in the game, like this thing happens and it's a reward. Uh, yeah. As opposed to like, this is something activity because the game itself has run out of uh, or doesn't contain that that meaningful like main thrust so i want to i want to switch us to something that i found um, when when i was doing some research around this topic do you guys see the game logical society's uh, treasure treasure bracket yes i i um, that was very entertaining so what, can you want you want to give us a little back background so everybody who's listening to this knows what that is. It's the uh, it's like a bracket of voting for the the best treasure ever ever, uh, and it's uh, you know divided up into divisions. So there's like animal division, which has like the tanuki suit or a death horse or a space hamster. Weapon division, which has like the BFG nine thousand, the G um, old school stuff, and then the wild card. Which uh, has some random stuff that I'm not as familiar with. The the one that uh, actually from the wild card that is going up against the Wabajack is the uh, the Luck Bobblehead from the Fallout um, Fallout Three, where there are bobbleheads that give you uh, permanent stats increases. Yeah, and and spoiler alert: the Wabajack did win the the whole thing. Oh, I haven't seen that yet. Yeah, the link that you gave me was just the finals. Well, I, this is the one that had the very the nicely filled out bracket. That's why I included. Uh, it. So, what's what's a memorable bit of um, of treasure that that you could think of in a game, or what's a really fun piece of treasure that 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 you you like to talk about? Speaking of Fallout, uh, I really like the alien pistol in in Fallout Two. Like Fallout did a, a very good job of making these things that were effectively loot drops, but that were both uh, them like themselves very funny and phrased in very like you would find them in funny ways, funny encounters. So like that would be enjoyable, and then the thing would often be very powerful. So you'd, you'd get like double 
double enjoyment out of it. <laughs> I, I would say the alien pistol. How about you, Tom? You know, since we if if we haven't yet banned World of Warcraft, it would uh, probably be I, I don't remember the specific name of it, but was a little uh, tank toy uh, game that you could when when you got it, you could only play a certain number of times, and then the toy broke, and you couldn't use it anymore. But basically, it uh, gave you a little control over a little pet tank that you could drive around, and if somebody else also had a a, a tank, you could play a little tank battle in it uh, with it. And it was cute both in its its presentation as a, a child's toy that you happened to, to, to get. And they put a lot of love into it in actually building an in-game game uh, around this piece of loot. And it had no significance whatsoever to your uh, to your advancement or whatever. It was just there to be fun. I I think I keep gravitating towards the Thor's hammer. I don't want to try to pronounce the name of the hammer. Mjolnir? Yeah, Mjolnir or whatever. That uh, from NetHack. And and the fun thing about that was, you know, you would get it and anything you hit, lightning would strike it and all that jazz. But then if you had gauntlets of Titan strength and you threw it, it would return to you. That's like almost an Easter egg equality. Uh, yes, Easter awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think all three of the things that we're talking about are things that there was creativity involved in in designing those, and they're like the delight that we get is uh, like a little wink from like a human <laughs> that created something in order to to uh, uh, to make people laugh, right? Yeah, or there there's the love of the game, yes, yeah. of the game for itself, and as opposed to as you would. Put it just the grind. Yeah, one of the one of the things that I think we talk about sometimes is putting an element of playfulness or like the ability to show off for its own sake into the game. Because so often these super powerful techniques or combos or whatever, especially in a game like Diablo or something, you just find yourself, you know, okay. Uh, stomp the earth, lightning crash, thank God. stomp the earth, lightning crash, ice block. You know, you just sort of run through this again and again and again, and it, it numbs you to the like awesomeness that once was. Thanks for the session, guys, um, and hopefully this will turn out. Yeah. All right. I'll talk to you later. All right. Bye. Bye. This has been Episode 9. Thanks for listening. You can reach us at GameTheoryPodcast.com or via Twitter at GameTheoryPC or just reach out to Jim, myself, or Tom directly. Thanks.